Hello, and welcome to French Tech News with Chris O'Brien and Ethan Pierce, an audio and video podcast and clubhouse series highlighting important stories in English in the world of France's startups, its entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem leaders. Our objective is to continue to open this incredible ecosystem up to the Anglophone startup and investment community worldwide. And speaking of the podcast, head on over to Apple or Spotify and search for French Tech News and give that a subscribe. There you will find all of our past discussions and interviews. Clubhouse asks us to remind our speakers, as well as anyone who would like to ask a question, that we are recording this room to be published as an episode of the podcast. Uh, today, we will be discussing Ledger, crypto hardware wallet manufacturer, uh, becoming a unicorn with its recent uh, big raise. Two quantum stories, both of them small amounts, but pretty interesting to see uh, in the sense that this is these are French companies that are kind of leading the way on some cool technology. And then Believe, which is a TuneCore's parent company, IPO'd on Euronext. That's a pretty cool story. And then obviously VivaTech is coming up next week, the big live in-person conference here in Paris. So Chris, let's dive right in on our story here with Ledger. So if you are not in the crypto world or crypto space, then Ledger might not mean anything to you. But one of the big things in crypto investment is to make sure that you have ownership of your private keys, basically the the information that lets you claim ownership to a crypto wallet. In order to protect that information, lots of people don't leave their crypto on crypto exchanges. They keep it on something called cold storage, which is can be a hardware wallet, which looks like a little USB key. Crypto is not actually on that key. It's just the information on how to, you know, who owns actually and can claim that account. So Ledger is really the leader in this space. It's a French company, been around for quite a while, but just uh, with a $380 million raise that was announced this week, hits a $1.5 billion valuation, making them France's 15th unicorn. Chris, what do you want to talk about with this one? This is amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a story. I mean, just for some additional, that, that was a great overview. So thanks. Because I'm I'm not the crypto guy on this on this clubhouse for sure, you know it's funny because I wrote a story for the on them earlier this year for Sifted, and this was following you know you'll recall last year they had a couple issues with data breaches, and their reputation was sort of getting knocked around, and so you know end of last year beginning of this year it was kind of a rough couple months for them kind of untangling that and dealing with it, and they were trying to be very transparent and trying to share as much as they could, but they were they were still getting beaten up a little bit about it. And so obviously, you know, you can look at the fundraising today and say, okay, well, clearly investors aren't too worried about that anymore. Whatever issues they had are, are behind them uh, in regard to that. So that's great to see that they're still, it, it obviously then hasn't impacted their business too dramatically. They've continued to move forward. So that's a, a great sign for them. You know, so that's sort of the first thing. I got to talk to, this afternoon to Pascal Gauthier, the, the CEO. And I don't know, Ethan, have you met him? Have you had a chance to uh, talk to him in your Yeah, I've had him on a couple, couple panels, Eric Larshevik as well. And so, but Pascal's the CEO now and, and really, really quite amazing what he's been able to build. And, and now is his second French unicorn. So not only is this a cool thing, this is another unicorn for France, uh, number 15. It's the fifth this year. And it's the second with Pascal uh, in the executive because uh, he was an executive at Critio. Yeah, so he's got he's got a pretty good track record going. But it, you know, it was interesting also just talking with him, you know, about the ambitions now because you know one way to look at Ledger is kind of not a niche product but a very defined product. But his quote to me, which I was fascinated by, was you know he said quote 
their goal, or he said, we always said we wanted to become the biggest tech company ever built in Europe. That That's their benchmark. Now, you know, not the biggest crypto, not the biggest hardware, but the biggest tech company in Europe. So, you know, obviously they've got a ways to go there, but he obviously feels like he's, you know, they're onto something. And what that is, of course, and we talked about this previously with some other companies, is beyond just the the gyrations of Bitcoin or Dogecoin or or whatever we're talking about week in, week out, you know, the digitization of all assets uh, is something that they have their eye on and they want to be sort of your hub, your gatekeeper for all that stuff. And so, you know, we're talking about NFTs, we're talking about all the tokenization of, of anything you can imagine, really. And they think the potential there is is pretty enormous. One of the things that, you know, they are known for the, the hardware wallet idea, um, just because they're really kind of the leader in that. And they, they've sold, I think, over 3 million of the little things. And estimates are that they secure around 15% of all crypto. So that's pretty amazing. Pretty much people even use it as a as the reference, like, you know, are, do you have your crypto stored on your ledger, even if they're not talking about a ledger? So I think that's, that's you know, a sign that they've definitely taken uh, an interesting space, at least on the cold storage custody area. But custody is a really interesting thing, because when we look at large banks, large asset managers, even countries looking to secure crypto assets, whether, you know, whatever that might happen to be in terms of uh, whether it's your own personal investments, or whether we're talking about things like as we look at countries having their own central bank digital currency where they're they're taking the the currency of the country and 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 creating a digital um, version of that through tokenization that's also an interesting thing when we look at really large asset managers that are holding billions of dollars or euros in crypto all of those also require a certain custody situation so that if you wanted to, for example, if, if, if you're one of these large companies like MicroStrategy or your Société Générale and you need to manage your, you know, your holdings in these assets in, in crypto, you don't just want one person being able to send that stuff back and forth or you don't want somebody being able to just you know, kind of forget um, um, the information that, that allows you to claim that wallet. You need a, an enterprise level solution. So one of the things that Ledger is also doing is, is been creating enterprise solutions to allow for the management uh, under kind of more regulatory compliant um, manner of kind of institutional holdings in crypto as well. So there's a huge future in that. So if we really look at the idea of, of everything that is an asset in the world, eventually having some form of a tokenized version of that, and so much of, of currency, whether it is cryptocurrencies, whether it's central bank digital currencies, whether it's the, you know, what, what are the things that people are doing with this stuff? We talk about NFTs a little bit and all these other things. You need some place to be able to manage your holdings in a, in a secure way if you don't have those on an exchange or somewhere else that's, that's out there a little more accessible. All of that stuff points to the fact that as that market scales and becomes a big deal, the company that is leading the way in that is a big deal. So their idea of being worth a whole lot, and at this point, this was a $1.5 billion valuation. That's super interesting because we're not just talking about, you know, the crypto kids and buying some Bitcoin or Ethereum and playing with their, their, their stuff. This is not that world. This is the world of the, the capital of the planet. Everything that, is, that, that exists, whether it's real estate or investment into startups or small businesses, whether it's bonds and stocks, whether it's, you know, it's anything around the whole decentralized finance space with, with loans and insurance and all kinds of things, all of that stuff is some level of tokenization where you need to eventually protect those assets. 
Ledger, yeah. if they're the play, if they're the company that takes that and owns that, which currently they are uh, in the lead of that, that is not a small market to be the master of. So yeah, they could become one of the largest tech companies in Europe or the world simply because they are the company that provides custody for all of the world's digital assets. I mean, the other, yeah, I mean, I, so you start to see that the, this thing seems much bigger than it could have just at the outset when they're launching this company. So that's a fascinating evolution. I mean, the other thing, you know, from my end is the financial aspect. Uh, there was a, a new fund uh, called T2, uh, 10T Holdings, excuse me, that led the round uh, based in New York. Uh, and they're a new fund, but they're a growth equity fund specifically focused on crypto. Uh, and the other thing that um, uh, that we talked about today uh, with the Ledger CEO was, you know, this notion that all these big nine-figure rounds that we've been seeing uh, in France and even more across Europe in the last few months are really being driven by either growth equity or, in most cases, private equity. And, you know, he was sort of lamenting that all these funds are really, really U.S.-based funds. There's been a lot of progress in Europe on an early stage seed uh, middle round funding, but those big growth funds still aren't there. And so they felt like that's one aspect where, you know, they still really had to look to the U S to get that kind of, that kind of funding. No, I think it's fascinating. It will be interesting to see where that goes. It was actually on my, my planning call for one of the panels next week at VivaTech today and 360 capital is one of the panel members of that. And they were talking about the fact that because the funds in Europe are not necessarily growth sized compared to elsewhere, 360, which is an early stage in, in Series A type type investor that's been around for a very long time, uh, they decided to go the SPAC route uh, in order to be able to do growth funding for the startups in their portfolio. So it is not a surprise that we see companies like a like Ledger and, and so many of the others, like we talked about BlaBlaCar and, and, and others recently, that have to turn towards American or uh, Asian kind of mega funds in order to get these very, very, very large rounds in. And this is only the Series C for Ledger. I mean, that's amazing when you look at the fact that their Series B round was in 2018 for $75 million. And so then three years later, they're raising this much capital become, to become, you know, a valuation of $1.5 billion, making them, you know, a unicorn, which is not necessarily always a big deal in terms of who necessarily cares. But the, what that means is that, you know, they currently employ 360 people. This is going to allow them to double that with another basically 300 people over the next year or two to scale up all of their enterprise solutions, their internationalization, and add a whole bunch of DeFi services so this is a big boost forward in what Ledger can can do. Yeah, and they're recruiting a lot of people apparently from Silicon Valley to come to Paris. So we can all look forward to more Emily's in Paris uh, stumbling around the city and uh, <laughs> discovering but, guests and berets. So one of the other notes just to highlight here for anybody who doesn't know Ledger is not only is this a French tech company, which is great to see that this big, but it's a hardware company that manufactures in France. Because of the, the security considerations going into the idea of building the Ledger wallets, they decided to, to, to keep their manufacturing in Europe as they started to scale in France. And so in Vierzon, uh, just south of Paris, they, is, is where they make the wallets. So this is not, you know, it's to find hardware companies that are European is one thing, but to find them actually doing all of their manufacturing in Europe as well uh, is quite another. So uh, that's a pretty cool thing to see this moving forward so well. Taking that into another really cool deep tech hardware type space uh, are two stories on quantum computing stuff that's happening in French tech. 
So the first one is we have Pascal, spelled P-A-S-Q-A-L, has raised 25 million euros in a Series A funding in order to kind of bring to life their next version of what they want to build, which is, they believe, a commercially viable thousand qubit quantum processor is, is something that they could maybe deliver by 2023. So they've raised 25 million to make that happen. They say the hard science has already kind of been done. And now it's just a matter of implementing that. What else do you uh, know about this cool story with Pascal? Well, let me, if, if you'll permit me, let me kind of roll up a couple of the quantum things because, uh, you know, there was uh, another one on our list, C12 quantum, that also raised, I think it was 10 million. Yep. Uh, that was announced. And, you know, just to sort of contrast them both, I mean, basically they're among a bunch of companies that are trying to develop processes to perfect or really advance the notion of quantum computing, this sort of next generation computing platform. In the case of Pascal, they're, you know, and I won't turn this into like a deep dive on quantum technology here, but they are using one methodology called neutral atoms uh, that seems to be getting a lot of progress. And basically, C12 is using a different one involving nanotubes to develop and advance the processing power of quantum computing. The, the problem in general with quantum computing is that the qubits, as they're known, the atoms that do the processing, are very unstable. It takes a huge amount of power the environment has to be super cooled, you know, sometimes uh, dozens, if not hundreds of degrees below zero to stabilize the environment. So it's very difficult to put them in a state where they can actually do the things that people want them to do. So maybe you can technically do these things, but you can't really do them at a scale that would have an impact. So both of these companies are tackling those issues using different sort of fundamental technologies, and they both seem to be making. Uh, good progress. I would say Pascal is probably seems to be a little bit further ahead. They've actually, you know, sold their technology into some high performance computing centers. They partnered with Atos to put it in their quantum cloud uh, computing service. So, you know, you're starting to see some of that stuff actually now being put in a place where enterprises, corporates are sort of experimenting with it. So it's getting there. These are kind of two interesting companies that are really kind of pushing the technical envelope. So that's interesting to see in the context of you know, the French government. I think it was just last year announced a huge multi-billion, multi-million euro package to sort of try to make France a quantum hub. The other kind of interesting thing to note here, there was a third quantum fundraising this week in a London company called Ketz Security that I I wrote about for VentureBeat, Ketz and Pascal both raised money from a venture firm called uh, Quantination. And Quantination is a VC fund based in Paris that's focused on, well, as the name would suggest, it's focused on quantum. You know, again, you sort of start to get a, even if one of these companies is in London, you know, you get a picture of kind of an emerging quantum hub here that goes beyond just, you know, government bureaucrats kind of fantasizing that maybe France could be a player in all this and and seeing some actual players having an impact. Now, quantum is still, you know, in, in terms of really changing our lives, if it ever does, it's still several years down the road, but uh, you're starting to see some of the research prowess in France 
really starting to get commercialized and turned into potential actual products. It's a fascinating space to be seeing what's going on. We've got the funding of this in terms of who put money into it is, you know, some of the typical French things like BP France, which is the sovereign bank. So that's not a surprise. But we also have the French military making its first investment out of a new defense innovation fund. So that's interesting to see them getting into uh, already by, by them launching this fund. But that first thing that they want to get into is very much quantum, which I think does underline a lot of the strategic importance around the concept of, you know, quantum is an arms race to the extent that everything around encryption, the security of our data, we just talked about the the custody solution brought to us by Ledger. There is strong potential that many of these things will be vulnerable to quantum solutions. So quantum resistance or resilience is something that is being talked a lot about in the crypto space and other spaces, you know, kind of as the in the cybersecurity, especially to make sure that things will be protected in the future. So most likely the things that you're actively using, like, you know, your bank account, you know, whatever you're using for your your passwords or a lot of that kind of stuff will be quantum resilient simply because that technology will be up to date and be part of the arms race. But the reality is all the encrypted stuff up until that point that maybe hasn't been updated, that encryption will be able to be potentially cracked by quantum technology. So this is something that when we look at the fact that banks, for example, are still using technology or or code that was written in the, you know, in the 70s. I mean, that's true. Uh, you can make just as much <laughs> money writing that code because there's like eight people who can still code in it as you can writing new stuff. And so it's an amazing space to think about what would happen if all of a sudden somebody was able to potentially get access to a lot of data that has not been secured or updated since then, simply because quantum becomes a thing. I'm not really worried about it in, in modern stuff with, with, with appropriate cybersecurity things in place, especially in crypto and stuff, because I think that will stay up to date. Um, this is the largest uh, investment this year, I believe, into a quantum company in Europe. Many more are going to be coming. Uh, you mentioned the other two stories there uh, before we get into uh, C12, but just uh, you mentioned the, the London story. It's also interesting to, to hear that Honeywell, the large industrial company, is going to spin off its Honeywell Quantum Solutions with a merger for with Cambridge Quantum Computing. That was announced uh, in the just, I think, today or yesterday. So that's very interesting to have these four stories in quantum all happening in a, in a similar uh, space whenever, you know, there's a lot of concern that the U.S. or China will take such a dramatic lead in quantum that it could kind of be a bit destabilizing geopolitically, but also on, on the financial side and so many other things. So uh, super interesting to see where that's going. You mentioned it, and there's not a lot to go into in detail on the story, but uh, the fourth one in that story was C12 Quantum, which has raised 10 million euros in order to continue to develop their uh, solution and was raised from a similar group of, you know, BP France, Airbus Ventures, BNP Paribas Development, uh, which is obviously a bank, and 360 Capital, but also OVH, which is the largest hosting and cloud computing company in France from its owner, Octave Club, it participated as a business angel. So that's also a very interesting mix of investors getting into this quantum space. Was there anything else on the C12 story? Just that I would, I mean, again, it kind of ties into all of the larger ones, but the other sort of interesting trend to note here with the, along with Pascal is that, you know, in the case of C12, you know, this is technology that is emerging from CNRS and uh, Ecole Normale Superior in Paris. And this is something, of course, that, you know, people like BPI and the government have, em- have been emphasizing this idea of wanting to see more tech transfer. 
and wanting, you know, the academic research community to become more entrepreneurial thinking, or at least be recognizing some of those opportunities as they're developing this technology. So, uh, you know, BPI has been on a, a tour kind of reforming tech transfer rules and, and processes, literally going around the country to, to hold kind of, you know, tech transfer fairs at research and universities. And to, to sort of drive home this idea that, uh, you know, France may never be Stanford and Silicon Valley, but there, there needs to be a bit more of a fluid relationship there. And going back to when I got to France seven years ago, I mean, that was almost a non-starter. I mean, it, it, it happened, but for the most part, you know, the, the research community saw startups as, you know, uh, cowboys and, uh, and, and fools who were just sort of trying to make a buck. And, and that's obviously started to change. And so, again, the, you have two examples here of those ideas coming out of university labs, out of research centers like CNRS, very prestigious, and turning into actual startups. You know, at the moment, we're talking about maybe between the two of them, a couple dozen employees, but this is the kind of stuff down the road that if you create the champions, these could become quite large companies that have a big economic impact much later. Again, the strategic piece of it, it's going to be super interesting to see where the quantum stuff goes, because a lot of the technology is, I mean, nobody necessarily knows what's going to work and if they're going to, who's going to create the solutions that actually are um, scalable. So at this point, it's pretty much science. And in, in some of the, even some of the big companies like IBM that are in this space and Google have really pushed the viability of this down the road to, you know, maybe 2028, 2029. So very interesting to see these these companies in France that are pushing the envelope a bit on that, They're getting so much money. And, and I guess we'll see where that goes. But exciting to see where that's all going to, to come out to. But if we look at then our, our last story, which has absolutely nothing to do with crypto or with quantum, <laughs> um, but it's very interesting to see this trend of companies growing up now in the French tech uh, that has been such, you know, the goal for the last, you know, um, nine years or so to see all of these companies that were, you know, at first it was about just being able to to get seed money and, and then some Series A money available for these companies and then more resources as these companies grew up, more experience and, and other kinds of things. And then and then to be able to move on really to growth uh, and, and exits and all kinds of stuff. So like we mentioned, you know, Ledger being the 15th unicorn and the fifth of this year, th that's just absolutely amazing uh, to, to see that kind of growth. But we're also seeing things like IPOs and SPACs starting to come into play more and more for companies. So Believe, which is a digital music kind of management firm, what they do is they represent a ton of artists, especially independent artists, to help kind of advise them and to distribute their music across all the, the, the digital music platforms and to promote them. People might not know Believe, but if they're in music, they might very well know TuneCore uh, because TuneCore is where you go to in order to, as a musician, especially as an independent musician, if you want to put your music on Spotify and iTunes, um, YouTube, TikTok, all those kind of places, you can go to TuneCore and by going through them, they then distribute it to all the other platforms for you. And so it's one of the most widely used solutions to do that distribution, especially for independent artists. And so as a part of that, Believe has, has been growing very strong. I believe they booked uh, around $700 million in revenue in 2020. And if I may correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the IPO was to raise around uh, $600 million, uh, if that's correct. Uh, and so IPOing on Euronext. More details about the story, Chris? Yes. Well, 
you were right about the amount to raise. They ended up cutting it substantially to about three hundred million, which is still you know pretty decent. But uh, with these things, there's always some question of well, uh, you know, some other people had pulled their IPOs recently from from Paris. Uh, there was a question about going ahead with it. They went ahead with it. Uh, the price initially dropped uh, after they started trading. So, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the world's greatest debut uh, in terms of IPOs. I think the interesting thing here, well, it, just to finish that thought, I mean, you know, we've often seen that it's hard to really judge a company by the first day of its IPO. I mean, you know, Facebook famously had a disastrous first day. Uh, eight or nine years ago. So who knows really what these things mean, how much it's market conditions, how much it's just people mishandled the IPO or people aren't really that excited about the prospects. I, I think people are excited about the potential of the company for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, it's a solid business. Obviously, digital music is growing. Uh, so it's a, it's a great place to be. I, I think the the bigger takeaway here is that Cedric O was quoted uh, in Les Echo today saying, in the past 25 years, there's only been two other tech IPOs in France on the Paris exchange. And so this is the kind of thing that, again, if you're building a robust ecosystem, you've got to have those exits. And across Europe, not just in France, but across Europe, they're wanting to have more of these tech companies debuting on European exchanges. Uh, you know, Deliveroo, of course, was the bigger one, uh, the bigger story earlier this year in London. That also didn't have a great first day. So that's, I think that's going to be the larger takeaway that will be interesting to watch is what do other companies, how do they view it? Did they start to see these exchanges as viable options rather than feeling like, they have to move their headquarters to New York or San Francisco so they can go public in the U.S. That's sort of the for companies taking that route. It's sort of the 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 preferred exit route at the moment if you're going to go public. And of course, the other thing, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, I mean, it, it's a tough call for these companies because you could go public and then you deal with all the hassles of being a public company and the scrutiny. You know, these days you can also take a very large check from a private equity firm. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy to imagine that a private uh, might have written a check for 300, 400, 500 million euros uh, and essentially, you know, taken ownership of a pretty huge chunk of this company if they'd wanted to do that. So you have more options like that. That said, you know, economic and government leaders would still like to see more IPOs happening. So it's going to be interesting in the next couple of weeks how people sort of digest the narrative of Believe and the IPO, how it performs and what they feel like that means for them if they're starting to think about, you know, if they're a company like Miracle or Allen or someone else who's pretty advanced in their funding and their business, thinking about a public exit do they want to really seriously look at Paris? Obviously, people like Cedric O would love for that to be the case. Uh, Euronext, which owns a lot of these exchanges, would love that to be the case. And, and we'll see if this is a really a turning point or if it's just sort of a one-off event. Yeah, I think in this case, you also kind of get the feeling sometimes that it's a, a kind of a philosophical choice where they're choosing to list uh, locally because they don't, they, they don't want to go to another country. They're, they're proud to be a local company and they want to do that 
potentially on, on a more local regional level. But, you know, when you're going public, it's it, a part of that is about access to investors. And so the size of the capital pool behind the exchange is incredibly important. But I also kind of wonder with Believe if it's also not just a question of people not knowing what they do and it just not being that big of a deal to enough people, even though it's an incredibly important and relevant piece of the digital music ecosystem. It is a big company. It's a very important piece of how independent musicians distribute. And when you look at the fact that things like TikTok and the, the sheer amount of value that TikTok has generated for themselves, but also for so many creators, is a lot of that's tied directly to the fact that you can leverage music inside the app for your clips. And all of that access then, you know, is is about a company like Believe, but also TuneCore being able to distribute that music on behalf of all of these these companies. And then obviously what we talked about with Spotify being a part of that and all these others. I do think it's exciting, though, that it is at least another. So maybe sometimes it also takes actors to just kind of bite the bullet and be like, well, we're going to do our IPO in France and we're going to say, well, that's where we're going to manage all of this and then move forward. And then that will potentially encourage other companies to decide to list uh, locally instead of going to the U.S. For, for NASDAQ or NICE or something like that and, and kind of escaping their ecosystem, which is not what, you know, this, this, the ending to many of these happy stories uh, that we'd love to see in a place like France for French tech is not that these companies do, you know, we saw it with the growth piece and, and others where it was every time a startup got to be interesting, it's series A or series B funding had to come from the U.S. because there wasn't enough in France. Then we were able to get more funding in. And so now there's plenty of that kind of funding available in France and in Europe, but it's the growth funding that is still missing. So each of these kind of different steps, we, you know, we just need more money to come in and more ability for these things to be uh, to stay European. And yes. so hopefully this will be one of those where uh, this was believed kind of saying, OK, we're going to start this. We're going to be the ones to go out there and try. And that will encourage other growth startups to potentially stay. But I also think it's about that, you know, how big of a company can actually IPO in Europe? Can, can companies get too big to IPO in Europe and, and be forced potentially for capital reasons to go to the U.S.? Is there like a soft spot in there of only, you know, being a billion or two billion dollar company? But once you're worth four or five, ten, there's just not going to be a way to do that. I think there's a lot of questions around what the future could be for IPOs in Europe or whether it's SPACs or other things that might also come into play. But this is, I think, encouraging news, at least, that we've had another tech IPO in France of a French tech company. Yeah. And, and you can be sure that, you know, the companies and their advisors uh, are going to really start to to scrutinize this one and ask some of those questions because, you know, the reason these, I mean, it's less sexy to think about, but the reason these things succeed or don't succeed often may only partly have anything to do with the fundamental business or the people running the business. You know, it, it's really about can the bankers, can the exchange bring in the investors who are going to buy at the volume, buy at the prices of anything to really sustain something like this, you know, are there enough risk tolerant, uh, deeply pocketed investors, investment funds, uh, hedge funds, whoever, who will come in and participate? So that could end up being a story about really the Paris exchange rather than believe, um, you know, we'll see. And I think, you know, again, I have a hunch all these companies will be asking their advisors, you know, okay, well, what happened and what do we think? What is Paris uh, Stock Exchange saying? What is Believe saying? And what does the price do? You know, if the price turns around and doubles in the next couple of months, then, you know, everything will look hunky-dory. 
So we move on then to, uh, well, that's really all of our stories, but our last story is just a reminder that next week, if you are interested in everything that's going on in the world of French tech and innovation in, in Europe, actually, that VivaTech, France's large technology conference, will be next week as a physical and digital hybrid conference. So if you happen to be in Paris, June 16th to 19th, then you know that would be really cool potentially if you're interested to come and hang out at VivaTech. Chris and I will be there recording out of VivaTech's podcast studio, but also moderating some panels on stage. So we'd love to connect with anybody that's coming to VivaTech. And also, if you can't make it to Paris or don't want to come out to a physical event, they do have obviously digital passes. So there'll be um, all the content will be streamed and then available after the event as well for people holding digital passes. If you are interested in coming to VivaTech, don't be surprised that they will require the French Toussaint Govid or other type of digital health passport that shows either proof of vaccination or proof of testing in order to get access to the event. And the event's going to be limited to 5,000 people at a time. Super excited to be there and to see a bunch of people from conferences back at a conference. If you're interested, reach out to Chris and I. We'd love to see you there. Any um, thoughts on VivaTech, Chris, or anything else? Uh, I'm looking forward to, to VivaTech and it's going to be weird, but it'll be fun uh, to actually see other human beings in that context again. Definitely. Check our socials for links to VivaTech if you want to get a ticket. Do let us know if you're going to be there. We would love to meet up with anybody who's going to make it out to VivaTech or ping us online. Thank you again for joining us at French Tech News on Clubhouse, and we look forward to having you back next week. Want more news and stories from France's incredible innovation ecosystem and its entrepreneurs? Subscribe to the French Tech News with Chris and Ethan on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and switch on notifications to be informed of new episodes as soon as they are released. You can connect with Chris and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. I am at Ethan Pierce, that's E-T-H-A-N-P-I-E-R-S-E, and Chris O'Brien is at O'Brien, O-B-R-I-E-N. Let us know if there are guests that you would like to see on the interview podcast or Clubhouse, as well as any stories that we should take a look at. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.